Hello, 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 and welcome to this, the bonus part of today's FYI on the Beatles. And now we know that the Beatles is a play on words. It's a pun for the beat. And we love that word, too, because beat is not just the drum or the rhythm of the music, but what's another beat that we've all got going on all the time? Boom, 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 boom. Your heartbeat, of course. That's why I guess we feel music. And it's so much more than just something we perceive with our ears. But it's something we perceive with all our senses, I believe. And one of them is with our nose. Yeah, well, remember before I told you that Beatles concerts smelled like piss? I mean, heavily? Well, why do you think this was? I imagine you put two and two together and you were able to figure it out on your own. But the reason these concerts smelled so heavily of urine, urine siendo orina, was due to, due to es debido a, overexcited girls. That's right. They would get so excited when they saw their favorite band that they couldn't contain themselves. And as we've seen in many videos, some even fainted. Uh, to faint is uh, desmayarse. We can also say to pass out. So it wasn't just uh, an, an oral experience. Oral siendo del oído. De hecho, es muy interesante que en inglés oral oral y aural de, del oído se pronuncian igual. Solo tienes que ver escrito para saber de cuál estás hablando. So yeah, I guess it makes sense. Did you guys figure that one out? When I read it, I said piss, but I was imagining guys, you know, not going to the bathroom and just pissing wherever they were. But no, no, no. People couldn't hold it, especially young ladies. Well, <laughs> when you gotta go, you gotta go. Another funny story about the Beatles, I guess something that made them so much more than just musicians working together and made them more like friends who were bonding to bond is crear vínculos, no? Recuerdos. George Harrison, this is a funny fact here, George Harrison lost his virginity. Okay, well, that's normal. He lost his virginity. So what? Well, the other Beatles were watching. What? Well, secretly, it wasn't like some peep show or some pornographic show. They were watching. They were kind of like cheering him on, although they were pretty nice about it. Uh, they didn't cheer him on during the whole ordeal. They cheered him on after. And he was very embarrassed, needless to say. I mean, who wouldn't be embarrassed when your friends are watching you there? Shag. And the word shag is a way to say to have sex. It's very, very British. I'm going to give you my impression of George Harrison talking about his first shag in Hamburg. Let's put it this way. In Hamburg? That's when the Beatles discovered that uh, they were young men who wanted to quote-unquote conquer the world, and they realized the possibilities, and they got into a lot of trouble there, too. Tuvieron sus problemas ahí también. But here's George Harrison, or me, doing George Harrison, talking about losing his virginity with his friends looking on. He says, My first shag was in Hamburg with Paul and John and Pete Best all watching. Pete Best 
was the person who was the original drummer, the guy who Ringo Starr replaced. So Pete Best, he goes, was watching. We were in bunk beds. Uh, bunk beds are literas. And they couldn't really see anything because I was under the covers. Estaba bajo. The covers would be the sheets. But after I'd finished, they all applauded and cheered. <laughs> Aplaudieron y animaron. And he says, this is the best line, at least they kept quiet whilst I was doing it. <laughs> Al menos estaban callados mientras lo, uh, lo hacía. Because just imagine, the girl hears the guys clapping and stuff. That's the end of that. So they were smart. They kept quiet. And then at the end, the climax, they applauded him. Now, I would have to say, George Harrison has a lot better sense of humor than I do. But also think about it. They were young boys in another country. They had the world at their fingertips. Check it out. I think there's even a documentary about the Beatles and their time in Hamburg. And as I said before, the Beatles went through a lot of different phases. When Beatlemania started happening, this was, as I said, in the, the early 1960s, you guys remember when they got to the United States, they were wearing these smart suits. You know, they, they, they looked good. They were clean cut, nice haircut. Uh, they were cheerful in their interviews. No, muy risueños. They were a nice group of guys. You know, the kind of guys you would introduce to your mother and father because they were just nice guys. But that wasn't their original image. In fact, that's the misconception. A lot of people think that the Beatles had this clean image and then uh, they got into drugs and, you know, well, like they got a little bit more shaggy or a little scruffier, right? Uh, shaggy es como melenudo, scruffier es como que no se han afeitado, ¿no? Este, esto de no cuidarse, shaggy and scruffy. Well, that's how they started. So the original Beatles, when they were playing clubs in Liverpool and Hamburg, they were a scruffy bunch of guys. They were wearing jeans, cowboy boots, leather jackets. I mean, they were like rock and roll. They had this rock and roll look and they had this rock and roll attitude. Well, it was their manager, Brian Epstein, who talked them into, to talk into is convencer que haga algo. Well, he talked them into changing their look a little bit. He said, guys, you got to clean up your act. And to clean up your act is, eh, hay que ser un poco más limpio, un poco más pulcro, no decir cosas malas, you know, to clean up your act. You know, he was a manager. He wasn't thinking about them physically. He was thinking about money. He's, and he told them, he goes, guys, if you want to appeal to mass audiences, you got to be clean cut. And so they changed their image. But the original image was similar to the one that they ended up with. If you remember, towards the end, every Beatle, I believe almost all four of them, if I'm not mistaken, had long hair. And we all know that the Beatles had that drug phase. You just have to listen to the music. You just have to look at the album artwork. I mean, they were definitely dropping LSD or to trip, as we say. You say un tripis, right, or something? Well, we say to trip. They were tripping on LSD a lot of the time. But in their defense, and I would never defend drugs, but in their defense, we're talking about the 1960s in the United States. The question is, who wasn't? dropping acid or smoking weed. The Beatles blamed, it's very funny, they blamed, air quotes, no, entre parentheses, they blamed their dentist, John Riley. George Harrison called him the wicked dentist, el dentista malo. And basically this guy supposedly spiked 
George Harrison, John Lennon, and their wives' coffee. That's right. Now, to spike is to put something, to put a substance, usually a drug or something like that, in someone's drink, to spike someone's drink. So this, you know, this dentist thought it would be a good idea to spike their coffee. So they had dinner, they were having coffee and hanging out, and before you know it, they were tripping their faces off. And I guess they liked it because they kept doing it for quite a bit. Again, it was very normal back then. But now, looking back, uh, maybe it wasn't a, such a great idea to do so many drugs. They blamed Bob Dylan for getting them into weed. Well, Bob Dylan, I mean, that's, that's a good story, you know. Why do you, why do you smoke weed? Well, it's Bob Dylan's fault. <laughs> it was during a tour. It was uh, in 1964. They were touring the United States. And the singer-songwriter, esto es cantautor, the singer-songwriter offered them some weed, some ganja, some cannabis to smoke. And just like the LSD, they enjoyed the experience. And they started smoking weed on a regular basis. Again, I don't even have to tell you when this started. You can hear it in the music. But, hey, again, many groups were experimenting and it did change their sound quite a bit. The problem is, and it always is, when it's excess, right? When you go too far and you start abusing drugs, which is what happens in the case of many rock stars. You see them at age 50 and they are just beat up. Poor John Lennon, he didn't, he didn't make it to, well, I, I forgot how old he was, but he was very young when he was assassinated. He didn't make it to be an old man. But John Lennon, he was also a, a wanted man in many ways. I don't just mean wanted by his fans and adoring women everywhere. I mean wanted because they said that he was stirring up trouble in the United States. And what happened was the FBI put John Lennon under surveillance. That's right, because, well, he was basically hanging out with the wrong crowd. Se movía con gente que no debería. People who were anti-war. You know, they were radical. Maybe they even had some kind of communist views, which is a, a bad word in my country. So the FBI and Nixon's administration decided, we got to keep an eye on this guy. He's not just a musician. He is a menace to society. You can see that his stance on war was very, very clear. His stance is his opinion. I mean, hello? All we are saying is give peace a chance. And then, of course, Nixon and, uh, and the FBI is like, give peace a chance. We got to follow this guy. Oh, he should be pro-war. So that's pretty crazy. And it didn't stop there. They even, this is, this is incredible, they tried to deport him. They wanted him out of the United States. He was persona non grata. So the FBI had a file on John Lennon. And there's a lot of conspiracy that comes around that too then. Then they say, all right, well, maybe, you know, the crazy guy who killed him, maybe he wasn't the only one who wanted him gone. And as you guys know, um, he was killed right in front of his house 
at the Dakota Building in New York City, which is a lovely, if you ever go to New York, you have to check it out, the Dakota Building. And that same building is the building that they filmed uh, Rosemary's Baby in. Rosemary's Baby is uh, La Semilla del Diablo. So it's a famous building. And then, of course, just a stone's throw from the Dakota, a tiro de piedra, you've got Strawberry Fields, which was obviously named after John Lennon's song, which we're going to find out there's an Almeria connection. That's right. There's always an Almeria connection, isn't there? Now, I have to bring this up. I don't want to because I, it's comparing apples and oranges, como decimos en inglés, que no se puede comparar. But there's always that, are you an Elvis fan or are you a Beatles fan? Or Beatles or Rolling Stones? And you know what I say in both? Anytime that question is asked to me, I say both. I love Elvis and I love the Beatles and I love the Rolling Stones and I don't even put them in the same category. Yes, they were all influenced by blues music. There's no doubt about that. But they were so different and so unique that I don't compare them at all. But the, the Beatles, or I should say John Lennon, was let down when he met his idol, Elvis. Just imagine, Elvis came before, so the Beatles looked up to Elvis. Anybody who wanted to be a rock star looked up to Elvis. To look up to is another way of saying to admire. And when John Lennon was a teenager, he was the first guy to say that he loved Elvis. He adored him. But when they met in person, he let him down. He disappointed him. That's right. And this was because uh, they met. Uh, this was uh, when Elvis was touring America. The, their manager, Brian Epstein, arranged a meeting. And the meeting was friendly. You know, when they met, they said hello. You know, they had a little jam session. Una sesión ahí de improvisación. Then, after it all went down, Lennon, uh, he... He had his own opinion about Elvis, and it had changed because he put him on a pedestal before that. But what he realized after this is that Elvis seemed disinterested in talking to them. Que no tenía mucho, mucho interés en hablar con ellos. And that he wasn't very engaging. Como que no, cuando escuchaba, no querías interactuar. Con él. So he was let down. And that happens a lot of times. You know, some people, you meet a celebrity and they're not as nice as you think or something like that. But, uh, well, at least they they got to play together. You know, I mean, that, that must have been a great jam session. I, I wish I could have sat in on that one. Now, I've got to say something. I'm not really Liverpudlian, and I've never been to Liverpool, but I know that the accent's a bit like this, and I know I'm going to maybe get some haters, some hate mail from Liverpool, but there's some kind of like this sound with it. And I, you know what? I think a good way to get a Liverpool accent is just listen to the Beatles. Don't listen to me, please. <laughs> I'm doing my best here. I'm trying to capture the essence, but you want to hear a Liverpudlian accent, or Scouser, as they call it, You've got to listen to the Beatles. But remember this, not when they sing. It's weird. When they sing, they don't sound like they're from Liverpool. They sound American many times. Obviously, it depends on the song. In general, they don't have a very British sound like Brit pop, that, that music that we hear these days, the Verve, Oasis, that Brit pop. Like, Hello, do you really like what you really, really like? You can tell, but in a Beatles song, she loves you, yeah, yeah. You can't tell if they're American or British in most songs, which was, I guess, part of that, that attraction, that draw, 
you know? So let's learn some Liverpudlian. If we're ever in Liverpool and we're taking a stroll near Anfield, that's right, Anfield, where the Liverpool Football Club plays, well, you might hear somebody say that something is boss. And what does that mean? Well, boss is jefe. But if something is boss, it would be the American equivalent of awesome. Oh, man, that is awesome. Now, we use this word in the United States, but I hear it's pretty common over there. We'd say awesome, it's great, it's nice, but they say it's boss, it's great. Another word that they use there, which is kind of a shortened word, let's see if you guys can guess this one, bevy, bevy. So bevy comes from shortening the word beverage. And we learned the word beverage. I think we learned it in the Coca-Cola episode, the Coca-Cola Wars. Uh, beverage is una bebida. Beverage. Obviously, you can make it an alcoholic beverage, but a beverage is a drink in general. Now, I imagine knowing my Liverpudlian friends, they're talking about alcoholic beverages. So bevy. If you hear that word, now you know. Say, of course, sure. The next one is gegin in. Now, I've never heard this one, but when I looked it up, it's to butt in, interrumpir en una conversación donde no te han llamado. So if you're, you're sticking your nose in a conversation, you're being nosy, as we say, well, they would say, stop gagging in, mate. Don't gag in, gag in. Again, these are words that will help you in Liverpool. If you say that in, the, in New York or most parts of the United States, no one's going to know what you're saying. Well, maybe from the context. Context goes a long way. So don't be a gobshite. Hmm. Ahora, el contexto ahí, solo el tono te ha dicho que es, no seas tonto. <laughs> don't be a gobshite. We don't say a gobshite in the United States. But it's one of those words that when you hear it, it's pretty obvious what they're saying. He's a gobshite. Idiota. Gilipollas would be the translation. Another one, sit off. Okay? Sit off. Sentarte fuera. The equivalent of this in American English would be to hang out. When we're not going out, we don't chill out. We don't hang out like Americans. Not in Liverpool. We sit off. May. I'm going to go around me mums to sit off for a bit, to hang out, estar de relax, pasar el rato. And now Americans, again, chill out or hang out. But if you're in Liverpool, now you know. Sit off, mate. <laughs> Another one, and if you notice, a lot of these have to do with, uh, with drinking. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, offy, offy. Now, this is one we would never say in the United States because we don't call a liquor store an off-license. ¿Qué? Me explico. So, a liquor store is donde venden alcohol, right? Una tienda donde venden alcohol. In the UK, it's called an off-license. And more specifically, they've shortened the word in Liverpool and they call it an offy. So, we're going to go to the offy, which I would think office if I heard it, oficina. But no, it's off-license. We're going to go to the offy and get some bevies. ¿Ves? Si dices eso en Nueva York, good luck. <laughs> It just goes to show, demuestra, it just goes to show how wide, what a wide range English has and how there are just so many words that maybe mean something somewhere, but not in another place, right? And that's, that's the scope of English. That's what I think is fantastic, that I could go to Australia and hear another English. But that's why I always defend American English. Not because I'm American and patriotic, and that's true, I am. But I defend American English because it has the greatest scope. 
para usar esa palabra otra vez. It has the greatest scope, el rango más grande. We produce so many series and movies and songs every year that our English is everywhere, even in the Aussie. What? Like Ozzy Osbourne? No, not the Ozzy Osbourne, the Aussie. The Aussie? Yeah, the hospital. <laughs> the hospital. <laughs> Nunca. Not in a million years would I guess that the Aussie is the hospital. The hospital. Ellos no pronuncian la H. Nosotros sí. We say the hospital. They say the Aussie. The Aussie. All right, so next time you're in Liverpool, you hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to get by. Apañarte o salir del paso. You know, I got to bring everything back to Almería. And there is, there are a few, in fact, I should say, Almería connections. How I won the war. What? How I won the war? You won the war, Alberto? Well, no, no, no. I'm not saying I won the war. That's a movie title. How I Won the War. All right. Well, this is a movie that John Lennon filmed in Almería in 1966. That's right. Almería, Spain. And the interesting thing is while he was down there, he was down there for a period of six months. And while he was down there shooting this film, he wasn't just shooting a film. As any artist, he's always looking for inspiration. And he saw a house, like a country house, a big one, a nice one, and it's called Casa Isabel. This is the name of the actual place in Almería. And this Casa Isabel reminded him of a place that he grew up near. And that place was called Strawberry Fields. So what does that mean? That means John Lennon composed one of my favorite Beatles songs, and it's hard to choose. He composed one of my favorite Beatles songs in Almería, Strawberry Fields, incredible. And you can see the story of this, well, loosely told in the movie Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. In Spanish, es vivir es fácil con los ojos cerrados. It's a 2013 film written and directed by David Trueba. It's great. The movie title comes from the song. So, Strawberry Fields Forever. He goes, living is easy with eyes closed. That means it must be high or low. So, it, and it's a beautiful story. Guys, if you haven't seen this story, it's about that English teacher who went there and said, you got to help me. I'm teaching English with your songs. And um, I need your help. I don't know them all. <laughs> and beautiful, beautiful story. A great movie as well. I, I have the screenplay, Tengo el, el Guion, which is very interesting. And we're going to do that at the end. We're going to learn some English from Beatles songs as well. Uh, a reason I always recommend Beatles songs to my students is they're pretty easy to understand. I don't tell my students to start off with Eminem or, you know, something more hardcore. Start with the Beatles because they're pretty easy to understand in general for anyone. Oh, and there's another Almería connection. Well, wait, two Almería connections. Supposedly, you know those round glasses that John Lennon is famous for? Well, supposedly he wasn't wearing those before his trip to Almería. He started wearing them after, which means he probably bought those round glasses in Almería, his signature glasses. And he loved Almería so much, he convinced, well, I don't know if it was him, but he told Ringo and George 
to go down there in 1971, and they did. Now, they didn't go down there, as I said, because John said, you got to go to Almeria, but they were filming a movie too. And now, I haven't seen this one. I saw How I Won the War, but I haven't seen this one. The movie is called Blind Man, and it came out in 1971. And you can see Ringo and George in Almeria. Did you guys know that Almeria was such a famous place? My dad says it's the capital of Spain. The geography books say something different. <laughs> but I trust my dad. What do you mean? Almeria is not the capital of Spain? Oh, dad, you lied to me. <laughs> But I thank you. I thank you for exposing me to the Beatles. As I said, I found out about the Beatles through my parents' record collection. They had most of the Beatles. And it was great because I remember reading the lyrics, listening to the album, and enjoying the artwork. And, well, let's look at some of those songs. Now, one of my favorite is, We can work it out. We can work it out. And it's not just because it's a catchy song, Pegadiza but also because we can learn the expression podemos solucionarlo, which I think is a great expression to know. So just be careful, though. We can work out, podemos hacer ejercicio. We can work it out, podemos solucionarlo. Another one that I love, too, is help from my friends. Again, if you're thinking about it, the messages are pretty positive, right? He says, I get by with a little help from my friends, to get by, salir del paso. I'm going to try with a little help from my friends. Another one, don't let me down. No me decepciones, just like Elvis did to John Lennon. Another one, get back, get back to where you once belong. Vuelve, retrocede, get back, get back to where you once belong. And we could go on all day. So I think there's your homework, guys. Choose a few of your favorite Beatles songs and start learning English, like karaoke style. Ooh, how could I forget another one that I love? Still my guitar gently weeps. And to weep, de ahí, aprendemos llorar o gemir. So, guys, we can learn so much from the Beatles, and they were only together for eight years years. They left us loads of English content and great music to listen to. And the last one we're going to look at is to make ends meet. And you're saying, but Alberto, make ends meet? That's not a Beatles song. Yeah, but we can learn it in a Beatles song. Another one that I love, Lady Madonna, children at your feet. I wonder how you manage to make ends meet. No sé cómo consigues llegar a fin de mes, to make ends meet. And I'll wrap up this episode telling you guys that I had the pleasure of seeing Mr. Paul, excuse me, Sir Paul McCartney play a three-hour show at Madison Square Garden with my mother. And it was probably one of the most amazing nights of my life. And you want to know the great part? It was also one of the most amazing nights of her life. The two of us sitting there seeing Paul McCartney playing songs that both her generation and my generation sing along to. I have goosebumps right now. And as I said before, the Beatles may have been around for only eight years, but their legacy will live on forever. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of FYI.